0: All right. Well, we are uh, in the middle of preparing to uh, move to the next phase of the body of, this, of, of the life of this body, and so we're talking about eldership uh, out of First Timothy and studying what um, what we believe that means for us and and what we need to be doing in in preparation for um, electing some elders to serve alongside myself and Aaron Slater and uh, Jeff Kenner to help us with the uh with that work. And so we've uh there's a lot of stuff that that we've talked about that I hope you guys have taken in. I'm not going to go back and repeat everything in 1st Timothy so far, but you know, but do want to remind us that our goal in this study is is twofold. Number 1, it is to for you to look at your own life because none of the qualifications of elders which you'll see every week when we go through the passages you see every week that the, the the things that we talk about that are characteristics really more than qualifications characteristics that you want to see in an elder uh, those things are true are things that should be a part of every believer 's life, and so we want to make application to ourselves, not just project this on who we want to put in leadership, uh, but also we are we are looking to um, to ordain some elders that we feel like as a body. Uh, Fit what Paul is telling Timothy in in this passage, and so it's important that we understand. Now, there's a lot of things in in churches regarding elders and deacons that uh, I say a lot of things. There are a number of things. And one of them will be the, the things that we talk about today uh, that are different. Uh, we we view them differently. We interpret Scripture differently than a lot of churches do. Uh, and, but I want you to know this, that we take, we take the, the theological basis of eldership seriously. We are not compromising in any way. We're just trying to get a true picture of what the Scripture says and how that applies to our body. Uh, so I'm going to try my best today, and ask, I've already prayed and asked, and we'll ask again that the Holy Spirit would help you to understand these truths as we feel like God has called us to practice them. Also, we're not just talking about uh, behavior; we're talking about hearts, we're talking about hearts that are for God, that are stretching toward God, that are uh, that are desiring more than anything to know God and to resp- and to let that have its effect on our lives. So, what we're doing here is is we are pursuing uh, passionately a relationship with God and an understanding of God that. Gets progressively deeper as he reveals more of himself to us. It is the thing that Paul said is was most significant in his life. When he compared his life prior to knowing God and prior to having these experiences where he was coming to know God by experience in his life, he says that all that stuff was rubbish compared to knowing Him. And so we we are that church. That's who we are. It's what we're about. So I want to read the passage, and I want to uh, summarize what we said last week. Uh, I've done this this past week. We went to almost all the life groups this week, and we're able to talk about uh, kind of and get a better picture of what uh, last Sunday's message was about. And just, you know, having another week to kind of flesh it out has helped me, I think, to be able to communicate to us um, what we said last week in preparation for these characteristics that we're going to start to study today. So everybody ready to say, oh, yeah. All right, so chapter 3, 1 Timothy, and verses 1 to 7. The saying is trustworthy. that If anybody aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, as we've been thinking about those things this, this week, one of the questions that I've asked in life groups, or that was asked in life groups was, uh, what does it mean to be an elder? And then people immediately begin to go to all of these qualifications. So let me ask you while they're up there, uh, if we can go back to it. Um, yeah, does anybody, do you know anybody that does this all the time? Besides Talitha. Anybody? Uh, no, man, we don't know anybody that fits these requirements. If it were a list of requirements that says that, that, that elders have to be this all the time, then, then we would never find an elder. In, in, uh, here's, here's what I believe has been one of the major problems in the churches where I have served. And I've been in ministry for 36 years, so that's a lot of churches. But in the, in the places where I've served, this has been, the, this has been the, uh, one of the major problems, I believe. Is that y'all with me still? I think the problem is, is that we, we believe that the pastor thinks he has all these things. And for a lot of a long time, I felt like I had to present myself to the church in a way that I had all these things. So what was I being? I was being a false. I was being a hypocrite. All right. I was saying one thing and doing another. Now, nobody, again, I asked you today, does anybody meet these requirements? You looked at it and you said no. I mean, I can guarantee you the best pastor you know doesn't meet those. He may look like it on the outside at times, but the fact that I can be honest and authentic in this church is is to our advantage, okay? Because now we can stop saying, okay, well, that's only for pastors, right? No, it's not. It's for everybody. All of these things are for everybody. So if he's not talking about, uh, go look at your elder, get your list ready. Go get your get your pen and the check, you know, the list with the check boxes, and go look at him And go, yeah, he's, he's doing pretty good. Wait a minute, hold up. What did he say to his wife? No more elder. All right, pick a day in my life. Pick a day. Come come watch me. You won't get far down this list before there's going to be a. So does that mean we write off all the qualifications? Because typically, here's what happens. Most people write off the qualifications and says, "Oh, that's only for special spiritual people." Right? That's what you do if you think that somebody's actually following that list. But let me help you. You can't write off any of them because your pastor's in the same boat as you are. All three of us who are elders here right now have issues with some of these things always, and have big issues with some of them that are strongholds that we've been trying to get out of our lives that God has been working and using. Uh, those things within the context of our lives to get us to a new place. I told both of the elders today, be ready. You know, because as I've been going through this list, man, it's been cutting me up. Just the first two we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's going to cut you up. And and our elders, first of all, Aaron and, and Jeff, you need to take this challenge we're about to have today and, and say, am I really lining up? Is God, is God convicting me about something in relation to the things we're talking about today? And then the rest of you also need to line up with that. So what is he talking about? If he's not talking about a, uh, a performance base of, of just trying to, trying to be these, not trying to be, but being these things, if it's not based on a list of things that I'm supposed to already be, then what is he talking about? And that's what we talked about last week. At the end of uh, First Timothy 3, he talks about, he says, now I tell you these things in order that you might know how one are a person, not an elder, how a person ought to behave in the household of God. And so in the context of that message last week, first of all, he says how one or how people. So it's not just elders, it's all of us. Second of all, he says people who are in the household of God. And last week we talked about, uh, he further describes that as the church of the living God. And we looked at that in detail, that the church is not the building, so that, that we're not saying this is how you ought to behave whenever you come to this building over here, right? It's, it's the church of God is the people of God. The household of God is the, is the people of God. It is believers. And he says the believers uh, are the church people who are God's people, representations of God, little houses Literally, little temples, little houses of God. That's who we are. Little houses containing the spirit of God. And we're called to be together. And so we're supposed to be. What he's saying is, this is how you ought to behave. Uh, This is how people who are children of God will behave. That is, there will be authentic, consistent representations of God in the community. That's our goal. That's what we talked about last week. Authentic, uh, consistent manifestations of God in the community and the world. So the church called the gathering place, the living household of God called the gathering place, was little churches, part of a big church that were scattered throughout this this community this week. We were all over the place. And we were hopefully authentic, that is being real, But authentic what? Consistent manifestations of the person of God. That God is consistently manifesting himself through us and showing himself to the world. That's what they are. He says, the reason why i am told you these things is so that you people, the household of God, would know how to behave. What it looks like to be a person who surrendered to the Holy Spirit completely. For your body to be giving up to God, as Paul says in Romans 12. He says, uh, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual service of worship. This is what we do. Our bodies are the dwelling place of God. And he says, submit your body to God. Let your body be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual uh, act of worship. So that's what he means when he says, to how we ought to behave ourselves in the household of God. How we ought to allow the, not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Literally, let the metamorphosis happen. You know that verse in, in chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, don't, no longer pour yourselves into, the, do not be conformed anymore to the, to the patterns of this world. So what he's saying is don't pour yourself into the mold of this world anymore. But, and that's something you do. But he says, be transformed. And the word is the same as metamorphosis. It's, what, it's the word that we get metamorphosis from. And so if you ask yourself, what, what does a caterpillar do to turn into a butterfly? What does he do? After he's wrapped up in the cocoon, how much activity goes on? How much is he responsible for? Zero. He emerges from the cocoon a totally different being, a new creation right, a flying beautiful butterfly, That that is what happens to us. We focus on God. We get, put our attention on Him, knowing Him, developing our relationship with Him, being people who are focused on God, loving God, reaching for God, and He makes us living sacrifices. So then if, if the people of God are people who are stretching themselves to become manifestations authentic consistent manifestations of God then what is an elder if that's who the people are according to Paul he said I wrote these things so that the people will know how to behave he's so Paul's saying I have I have said you need to have elders find those people who aspire to be elders who desire it and those words remember mean stretching with all their might towards it their heart is for it they're not turning back I want to be this authentic manifestation of God and I want God to be manifested in my life more and more every day that's my pursuit not changing that man I am sold out on pursuing God that's the elder the elder is the one who will be the example he will be the the servant and the and the leader in those things So servant and leader in what? Now we can put that other slide up. A man who aspires to be a servant leader of the church is a man who is stretching himself daily, employing the power of the Holy Spirit to become like Christ in serving others. So the first thing is selfless service. Now that idea of selfless service, I'm going to tell you what the Lord spoke this past week as I've been praying through this over and over again. Very confident of this. That we're going to have, you know, we're going to have deacons also. We're going to go through the rest of the passage and it talks about deacons. We have no deacons or deaconesses right now in this body. We will have both. But here's what I'm confident the Lord has spoken. There will be the majority of you men who aspire to the position of elder will be deacons first. You got to be a servant before you can be a leader in the body of Christ. All right, so... So if you guys aspire to be a deacon or aspire to be an elder, if God's put that in your heart, that call in your heart, then the gathering place, the first place is going to be to be a deacon and then to move into that. So be prepared for that. That's coming as well. Ask God about whether or not you aspire to be a deacon in this body. And, of course, the deacons also include women in this body. So ask God about that. But selfless service is the first thing. So when when we're looking at... Our own lives, what we ought to be asking is this: everybody ready? This is your own life. Am I stretching with all my might because God's put it in my heart? Am I stretching with all my might to become a selfless servant of other people? And a good way to answer that question personally is to just ask yourself how are you how are you doing with the blessing of people, beginning with prayer, listening? to others, eating with them, serving them, and then sharing the gospel. How are you doing with that? Look, it's time for us as a church to take responsibility for letting the Holy Spirit do in our lives what we already want to do, empower us to become selfless servants. And a lot of the characteristics that we're going to talk about for elders has to do with selflessness. It has to do with the servant of the body and the servant of others in the, in the community. So we need to, to, to grasp this and hold on to it. But then also, as we start looking at some potential elders for the body, we need to ask the question, are, are those elders, are they, are they men who are, who are stretching towards with all their heart? It's so obvious it's in their heart to pursue God and to become like God as much as possible, let God manifest himself through their lives so that they can lead a congregation in understanding what that is. And and let me just say, you know, I I don't want to, but I have to. Look at me. Look at Aaron. Look at Jeff. And and, and just know this. We have to do some introspection in regard to this right now. Okay? We are failures at this in a lot of ways. But we need to ask ourselves, elders, and then those of you who aspire to that, and church, as we think about elders, are they men who are authentically, passionately pursuing God in such a way that they're becoming more selfless and better servants, okay? That's the first question we need to ask because that's what an elder is. How is the church ever going to know what it means to be a selfless servant if they don't have somebody that's modeling that? And then also, the second thing, uh, not only selfless service, but a man who is stretching himself daily, employing the power of the Holy Spirit to become like Christ in character. So that he can be a leader of the people who are doing the same. What does it look like when someone is passionately pursuing the character of Christ? I want to be like him. I can tell you it's in my heart. It may not always show up in my life, but I am passionately pursuing the character of God. I'm not just haphazardly saying, oh, I hope things get better and not making any effort. Man, I'm before God. I'm pursuing God. I've got to have that. And I, and I can't imagine ever doing anything that would take away from that. Pastoring could have taken away from that. And most of you know that where I got passionate about pursuing God personally was, was on the porch after I got fired from another church. And I had all this time to be alone with God and to talk to God and ask God nine months of part-time work and just pursuing God. And I got addicted to that. And when the elders of the church asked me if I'd consider pastoring, donahue my my first statement and the only thing i cared about was i'll do that as long as i can keep doing what i'm doing now in pursuing god i'm going to spend time alone with god i'm going to pray i'm going to seek him i'm going to ask him for things for the church i'm i i need a lot of time to be alone with god i'm not going to get busy doing a bunch of church stuff and if y'all are cool with that then i'm cool with being your pastor i had to make that decision as a pastor and I didn't suspect that they would want me to be the pastor, but thank you. Some of you were part of that and voted me in, and so here we are. So I know what it feels like, but I also know the miserable uh, the struggle that I have with being that every day. But we need to be that. We need to be men who are, elders need to be men who are passionately seeking daily, employing the power of the Holy Spirit because we don't have the power to do it ourselves, employing the power of the Holy Spirit to get us to, to look more like Christ and knowing that that's, if I could have what I wanted right now, I would be perfect. I'd be just like him. That's what I want. I don't want other things, not the eternal me. And so we're pursuing that and we're working it out in our, in our bodies the way that the, the Scripture talks about. We're putting away sin and having to do that because it's constantly there in front of us. And we are failing, but we're pursuing God. We're not letting our failures knock us down. We get back up and we pursue God. Now, I I wanted to go through all of that because I think we need to understand last week's message before we move on. Elders are not going to have all these characteristics demonstrated at all times, but they must be men who desire them with all their hearts and in whom those characteristics are most evident. When you look at the body, in whose life are they most evident? Now, before we move on to discuss the characteristics... Paul said to Timothy that if anybody desires, if anybody aspires to the position of elder, desires that, then he desires a a noble task or a praiseworthy task. And praiseworthy means that people should see him and desire to be like him. That's what it means. If it's a praiseworthy uh, task, then people should look at them and say, I want to be like them. So we are inviting people to look. And what Paul is trying to communicate here is this. Um, when, I, when I was in high school, I threw the discus. I was 130 pounds when I started throwing the discus, and I couldn't throw it but just a few feet. But I hated running, and in order to, in order to be in sixth-hour P.E., which you had to do to play football, I had to have two sports because sixth-hour P.E. was for varsity athletics. So I thought, what can I do? Basketball? No, too much running. Baseball? No, I'm too much running. Track, absolutely not, too much running. And then somebody said, well, you could throw, you could throw the discus. Throw the discus, no running. A little bit of spinning, but no running. I landed on discus, or it landed on me for the first month or two. So I started trying to learn how to throw the discus. So anyway, I, I, you know, I, was, I was small, but I learned the technique. And I didn't have a coach because none of the coaches had ever done it discus before their discus coach discus discus throwers don't become coaches in high schools yeah okay? I mean, that's just the way it is oh you're a discus thrower come on you're what we're looking for you know you got two people in the whole school that's going to throw discus or one and he's 130 pounds and weak so so anyway i did it and I, I got better every year and i got bigger in my senior year i did well i got you know i gained i was 185 pounds and i went to regionals in the discus but it was mostly because of my form, not so much because of my strength. Uh, and so, anyway, I, I learned how to throw it, and I learned how to throw it well. So I learned the technique and all of that. Now, what I've noticed through the years, I was in youth ministry for over 20 years. And so when I'd go to different, uh, different churches in different towns, uh, one of the things I did is I would connect with the high schools, obviously, and, the high, and junior highs, and neither, none of them ever had discus coaches, because remember, nobody hires a discus coach. So you got these guys saying, yeah, just throw it hard. And I'm going, no. And so I started volunteering because the coaches would tell them things to do, but they couldn't show it to them. Now, we got YouTube nowadays. I know this is an old story, but I was the YouTube back then, all right? I could tell them how to do it, and then I could show them how to do it. And, and so the combination of telling somebody and showing them that kind of coaching is what those, those students needed. To be able to be successful. Uh, And so that's the difference between hearing only and hearing and seeing. And what Paul's talking about here, about this being a praiseworthy task or uh, uh, desiring a noble task is because you're saying, God, I want to do this with all my heart. And I want to do it in order to serve the people by being an example. So as you think about that, as we begin to consider who would coach Us as we pursue our behavior in Christ that he talks about, pursuing being people who are like God, being the church of the living God, then what's their form and technique going to look like? What's the form and technique of a person who is in pursuit of God, who wants to be an authentic, consistent representation of God? What does that look like? It looks like an elder. That's what it looks like. So as we're looking at elders, we want people to, to serve us in the body by giving us that example, by telling, not just telling us what elders do, not just telling us what the Bible says we should do and how we should live, but demonstrating for us these things. So what is it? What should he look like? What's the form and technique of an elder look like? All right, now we can go to First Timothy 2, and we're only going to cover a couple today, so don't get nervous. But I felt like we needed to do that work. Everybody feel better about it? Everybody get a little bit better grasp, hopefully. Okay, and this will also be at some point maybe this week on uh, our website. All right, so, therefore, he says, verse 2 of chapter 3, an overseer must be above reproach, above reproach. If a man is stretching himself daily, employing the power of the Holy Spirit to become like Christ, he must be above reproach. Literally, the word means He must be blameless or giving no just cause for blame. In other words, an elder needs to live a life so that people in the church and people in the community can't say, oh, I see. You're just letting that happen in your life. You're just going to continue to live in sin. Uh, There's no just cause for that. doesn't mean he's perfect. It just means that people are so aware of the fact that this man is pursuing God that they would never say uh, oh he just gave up and he's just going to live in that sin and he's calling it okay in God's eyes there's a lot of guys I believe in leadership who do that who who hold up one standard verbally and then they don't ever intend to pursue it are they compromising the teaching of scripture Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy, that the time would come when men would not put up with sound doctrine, but they'll gather around them teachers who say the things their itching ears want to hear, and they'll turn away from the truth and turn aside the myths. He didn't say there'll be people. He said there'll be teachers that do that. That's what Paul is addressing in Ephesus with Timothy, is that there's false teachers. And so we need to make sure that we understand an overseer is someone who is blameless uh, in the community and in the church is that people know nobody's perfect, but they also know if anybody's ever going to be, it's going to be that guy. He is pursuing God, and he's given everything he has to it. So we're stretching towards that. So how does a church respond when an elder consistently fails to exemplify Christ? Think about that. Why is Paul saying they need to be above reproach? Because think about it. What, what happens in a church where an elder consistently fails over and over again to exemplify Christ. I mean, people understand. They're not really giving it their best effort. And so there becomes a lack of trust in them as leaders. Well, if they're, going, if they're just going to give up in this area, then they'll give up in another area. We really can't trust them as leaders. So if you can't trust your leaders, then you certainly don't want to be like them. There's also gossip happens in the church. Man, I'm so proud of this body. Uh, in, in both, both congregations because, man, I, there are a lot of th- problems that we all have, but gossip has not been one of them. I've never heard or very seldom heard you guys talking about one another. Instead, like we talked about at the beginning of this, you know, about in 1 Timothy, our goal is to pray for people, to pray for their recovery. Now, I'm probably the worst of all of us in regard to judging, but I have worked it, I've worked it, and God's working it in me right now. And I'm, I'm so thankful. I've shared that story a number of times. Just in the last few weeks, God's given me victory. And instead of judging people or gossiping about people or gossiping to myself even about people, you know, when I'm by myself, I talk out loud to myself about how sorry you are. And so, I, you know, i got to quit that because it affects the way I feel and it affects the way I treat you, Right? But if you know that I'm just letting that happen, I'm just a judgmental and I I know that it's wrong and I keep doing it, then you're gonna not gonna have trust in me as a leader. And you're gonna gossip. And so gossiping uh is what happens when you have a leader uh who's not in place. Well, man, did you hear what he did? Yeah. And he doesn't even notice it, you know. Well, man, what kind of pastor is that? Yeah, no that's in in what do you do it's hard for a church when they don't have a godly leader who's pursuing god just allows sin to continue in his life so gossip happens feelings of helplessness man you get to the point where you think what do we do you know so many churches have had to vote pastors out because of this very issue now some of the voting out by the way you know and I know is not legitimate and we need to be very careful we'll talk about that later on in this in this stuff about elders we need to be very careful, the Bible says it, about accusing an elder. But when there is an elder who's, who has no pursuit of God and, they, and they're in power because they helped build the church, because they put a lot of money into the building, because they've been there the longest, all those things, but they're not godly men, then that causes a sense of helplessness. What do we do? Do we vote them out? Well, if we vote them out, they've got a lot of other people that they influence. You know, what are those people going to do? What's going to happen to our church? What about the projects and the money that we have that we need? I mean, all those things come into consideration. And you feel helpless. And I've been there. I've been there with churches. Uh, and so then, then, there's, then there's always the issue of uh, departure or correction, and those are never easy to do either. So, man, elders need to be above reproach for the sake of the church, right? Right? But we also need to be above reproach for the sake of the community. I mean, I think the the biggest problem that this community, that, that people that are not believers in this community have with God, is due to leadership in churches who are not godly. It's the way that pastors and ministers are leading churches. It's the way that I have led churches in the past. And if I'm not careful, we'll lead you. I think what we do has an impact on the community. It causes the community to reject the church and its members, the local church, like our church. They say, well, at gathering place church, you know, they got leaders that are doing blah, blah, blah. And even though those lost people are doing blah, 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 it's okay for them, right? But what a hypocrite they are. And it affects people in the community. And not only does it make them feel that way about your church, then it begins to make them feel that way about all churches. And then it begins to make them... They don't disconnect the church from God. If the church is okay with that, then in their mind, God's okay with that, and then God gets a black eye. Which is was the story of the whole Old Testament. Israel is constantly defaming God's name among the nations. It's the outside people that are looking and seeing that. So that that we need to be careful. We need, as, as men of God who are who are stretching towards a relationship with God, we need to be above reproach in that. There never needs to be a time when one of the elders settles down and says, it's okay now. You know, I'm just going to kind of settle on this issue. It's not really affecting anybody or, you know, or whatever. It's just too too hard or, man, God really didn't mean this. And they turn aside to a myth, and we gather around ourselves people that, that say what we want to hear. Everybody get that? We need to be above reproach, unaccused by the church and unaccused by the community. Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 about this issue. Now, understand that the people that Peter's talking to are people that are under persecution. And they're severe persecution. And they're having a hard time staying committed to the Lord. Or they're wanting to give up. But, but, so Peter writes this letter to encourage them. And he gives them a long list of things that they need to do. He says, man, hold on to your faith. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Walk according to what you keep pursuing God. And this is people, not the elders. Okay, so this is you. Again, the people, and he gives them a long list of things to do. His desire to pure milk of the word, by it you might grow up, change, read the word, respond to it, get more like Christ. And then he makes this statement. After he gives all this instruction, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. You see the connection between a person's desire to to live and abstain from sin, the, the community's viewing of that, and even though they might accuse you of doing wrong, and then God's the one that gets the glory. See, there's a connection, and there's a connection for our community. Here's what our community needs to see. Immediately when a community says you're connected to the church, people that are not believers, and I have a lot of friends that are atheists, universalists, uh, uh, they, they are uh, basically just believe what, that whatever you believe is okay, uh, and, and so I got a lot of friends like that. I'm, I'm establishing relationships with, I mean, friends, we're close, and, and I know this is what they, they view. They always, you know, because we're close, they say, I, now this doesn't include you, but they also are very open to talk about the church. And they say, churches as a whole, you know, those people are, I don't understand why they do what they do. It's not real to them. Uh, you know, so, so what, what can we do in that case? That, they have been affected by people who have judged them, condemned them for living their lifestyle, told them they're wrong but never really built a relationship with them. What can we do to help move them along? They need to see that though they accuse you as a part of the church or the body of Christ, they see your good deeds. They might have accused you. They might have lumped you into the category with everybody else that's believers and hypocrites. They might have added you into that group. But if you are in pursuit of God, this is what God will do. He will make you a person above reproach. People might accuse you of doing wrong, but they'll see your good deeds, and God will get the glory. They'll realize they're not like everyone else. And then you got a word for them. You know why? Because God's changing me. I am like everyone else, but God's changing me. Consistent manifestations, right? That's what being above reproach is. Consistent manifestations. I am constantly manifesting the person of God. So what is it that a man who is above reproach looks like? The first thing is he's a, a man who is a husband of one wife. Now, I'm going to cover this quickly, but I'm going to give you a lot of facts. Are so, you all ready? All right, here we go. We're going to take off. All right, this is, this is uh, you know interpreted so many different ways in so many, in different churches. But this is the, I'm going to give you all of the, the possibilities, all the major possibilities of things that people have taught and believed. And then we're going to come back to our definition of what an elder is okay first of all uh let's just say if a man is stretching himself daily employing the power of the holy spirit to become like christ he must consistently be manifesting godly character in relationship to his wife everybody got that it's what an elder is husband of one wife literally interpreted a one woman man that's what it means Okay, if you just take the literal interpretation, "husband of one wife" means a one-woman man. Now that can be interpreted a lot of ways. A one-woman man. What does that mean? If you go into the context of of that passage, uh, one of the things might have been that it's a uh, a man who. Uh, first of all, one thing that we know it means is it doesn't. It means that he doesn't, uh, or it doesn't mean that he has to be married. A one-woman man, a lot of people say, well, he has to be a married man in order to be an elder. But Paul has already talked about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. That would be inconsistent with what Paul's already taught. Look at what he says in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians verses 8 and 9. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. Okay, he says it's good. Paul was single. It's a good thing to be single. There's obviously a lot of advantages if you're in the ministry and you're really pursuing God to be single and that's why uh, the Roman church was so uh, set on nuns and priests uh, and, and bishops and people in leadership not having wives is out of this verse and it's a good practice but he says gives a, he gives a statement that helps us he says but if they cannot exercise self-control they should marry guilty Cannot exercise self control. I should marry, Uh, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So here's here's what it doesn't mean when Paul says to be a one woman man. It doesn't mean you have to be married, okay? Because Paul's already told us you can be single. So an elder doesn't have to be a married man. All right. Second thing, it it's not practicing one. It does it, it it means not practicing immoral activity. In regard to marriage. You know in their day. There was a lot of. uh, Of religion in the towns. That they were guilty of participating in. That had concubines as a part of their worship. And so. In the context. uh, He he, he could be saying. That it's don't. uh, Mess with the concubines. And the adulterers. Don't allow that to be a part of what you're doing. Also it could have meant polygamy. Uh, polygamy was a practice, not so much in Ephesus, uh, or really among the Jews, but it was a practice that was common in the day, having more than one wife. Uh, it was never allowed among even the laymen of the church. That was never uh, something that they allowed them to do. Uh, and so, it could have meant have not having more than one wife at a time. All right? Could have meant that. Um... It could have also uh, meant never divorced. Paul deals with divorce issues uh, n- nowhere better than in First Corinthians, the same passage we were talking about. Look at verses 8 through 16. He says, to the unmarried and widows, remember that's who he's talking about, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians there are some some, uh, exceptions to this idea of men being divorced and being in leadership. There were laws that Paul put in place, rules, if you will, that God gave him. Clearly, he says, the Lord, not I in that one, that men should... Uh, should act certain ways in regard to divorce and the issues of divorce. Now, he already said earlier in the passage that uh, it's better for that man to remain single. So let me just say, it's better for a man who's divorced to remain single. When we start dealing with, uh, with divorce and men in leadership, it is better for an elder to, who is divorced to remain single. It's better. But everybody hears that that's not a list. Our rule that says if a man's divorced and remarried, that he can't be an elder. It's not what he's saying. He's saying it's better. But if he's going to burn with passion as a single man now divorced, that that he has a, an, another, uh, he has permission, if you will, from Paul to marry. It's better for him to marry. And so, in in relation to divorce, divorce is not the issue. And we're going to come back to the issue in just a minute. A man being divorced is not the issue. Now, one of the other things that we do need to talk about is this issue of carelessness in regard to relationship with our relationship with our wife. We're not talking about carelessness. That is not okay. A man who says about his wife, uh, well, I'll just hang on to this one, you know, as long as I can. Well, she's she's really giving me a lot of issues, so I'm going to divorce. Paul says, no, hang on. Love her. Communicate to her love and and she may change as a result of it. Uh, It's not just carelessly moving from one woman to, to another woman. That's not okay for an elder. all right. And why is that? Again, it's not because it's on a list of things that elders have to do. It's because an elder is a person who's passionately pursuing God. He is passionately, every day, employing the Holy Spirit's power to to be an example in selfless service, to be like God, man, be a manifestation of God to the church and to the community. And so what is that? What, if, if I'm trying to be like God as a pastor, then what is God's view of his bride? Right, We've got two pictures I'll give you real quickly. One is the picture that, that comes out of the Old Testament in Hosea. God gives a picture of his relationship to his bride, which is what? Who's, who's God's bride? The church. God gives a picture in the Old Testament of Hosea of what he thinks about his bride and how he's going to act according to, uh, uh, because he loves his bride. Everybody know the story? God told Hosea as a prophet to marry a concubine, a prostitute. And she was committed to it, Right? And, and they married, but she still continued to, to live in sin, and, and God told him to stay with her because that would be a picture of what he is like toward his people, Israel, who were living in, in a, an adulterous relationship. They were pagan people who were living and connecting with the world and with, with gods, the, the Baal gods and Asherah and the, the, the gods of their, of their world rather than to him. Matter of fact, this is what he told Hosea. His wife ultimately had been used up, gone from man to man, and and would not come back to Hosea, and she was being auctioned off as a slave. And and God told Hosea, go and buy her back. So imagine, right? Imagine your wife. Imagine having the kind of love for your wife that says, she refuses to stay with me. Because she just wants to be with other men. And so she's sleeping with everybody. And, and now at the, at the point that she's, she's used up and nobody wants her, they're fixing to settle on the auction block, and I have so much love for her that I'm going to pay whatever it costs to get her back. Y'all get the picture? That's what an elder is striving for. Okay, so you, you can't tell me that, an el- that a man who has sinned in his life uh, and experience the grace of God, like all of us have, who have made some major mistakes, one of them maybe being a divorce, maybe getting into a marriage you shouldn't have been in and, and get going through a divorce. And then God calls him into eldership, and he is now passionately pursuing God and loving his wife and 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 giving to her and being selfless in relation to her, living a selfless life in relation to his wife, being a great example to the body of what a, what a man of God looks like in relation to his wife. You can't tell me that that man is disqualified for eldership. According to what we have read and what God's word says. Paul, you got to take all of what the Lord is saying through Paul. And he's saying clearly. No, we're not looking for somebody who's carelessly uh, getting married. You know, a lot of times when I do weddings, I wonder. I mean, we do premarital counseling. It's required for anybody that, does, that I do weddings for. But I wonder in the minds of those that are getting married, what are they really thinking? I think the predominant thought in the minds of most people today is just, well, I hope it works. And if it doesn't, I'm just out. I really do. I think that's the majority of what people think. Our culture is telling people you don't have to worry about it because it's so easy. Look, there's a system. Here's a list of things you got to do to get a divorce and just start over again. I'm not talking about that. Everybody get that? Do like this. (laughs) That is not what Paul is saying. We're not just going to say, oh, just any old guy that wants to be an elder of the church, particularly if you have a lot of money, uh, will overlook the divorce in in your relationship to your wife. No. Here's the the challenge for Jeff, for Aaron, and for myself. Right now, we need to allow God to qualify us as elders by helping us to love our wives selflessly. You need to see that. Community needs to see that. That's what an elder is. All right, so so when Paul's talking about being a husband of one wife, a one woman, man, I'm about one woman. That's who I am. I'm not flirting with other women. I'm not trying to get the attention of other women. I'm not out seeking another wife. I'm pursuing God, and I know one of the best ways for me to do it is to keep my relationship with this one right. And so I'm going to give everything I have to that. And that's the way God loved us. Jesus said it this way. Christ's love for us in Ephesians 5 for his bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Here's the way that that our example, the one that elders are are stretching to to allow to be manifested in their lives, the one that we're reaching for with all the energy that we have, with all our hearts, the one that we want to be like, he died for the church while the church was in rebellion against him. The world says if you have a, have a wife and she doesn't do the things you like, get you another one. The total opposite of that is what an elder is. He's a man who is pursuing uh, God and in that he is loving his wife, caring for his wife, putting his wife first. The challenge from my life is this. Give all the time and never expect anything in return. That's what Christ did. Okay, so we're looking for a man, a one-woman man. If we're looking for elders and we're looking to be authentic manifestations of God, then in relation to our husbands and wives, we all need to be selfless. We all need to say, I'm going to give 100% all the time, even when I get nothing back. It's not a 50-50 relationship. It's not 100%, 100%. It's I'm willing to give 100% and get nothing back. It's a Hosea and Gomer type of love. It's a God for the people Israel kind of love. It's a Christ for his church kind of love, okay? So we can spend all the time we want to talking about what are all the verses, what is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians, but here's what we need to do. Not be legalistic about it. We just need to be, we need to pursue, find men who are pursuing God and it's reflected in their relationship with their wives. All right, so listen, the call for today for us is this. Are you feeling uh, inspired by the word of God to do a better job at stretching towards and moving towards what God wants you to be? to being an authentic heart from a heart change to being employing the Holy Spirit's power to become what your heart wants to become? And how have you been doing in relation to being above reproach, blameless in this community and in the world community? And how have you been doing in relation to your husband and your wife? All right, ask God. Let's pray for a minute. Let's talk to God about those two things today. Father, we're going to worship you today. And as we do, I pray that that our worship will be true in reference to uh, what we've been talking about. God, that we would find within our hearts a passionate desire to be authentic, consistent manifestations of you in the world. God, I know this. I know this community desperately needs to see people who love you and how different that is from what their preconceived notions are about the church and about you. And so, God, we need to be those people, and I pray that you inspire us today and that your Spirit will empower us to be that church. God, make us that. We cannot do this without your, your Holy Spirit empowering us. Change our hearts. Take out our heart of stone. Give us a heart of flesh. Lord, your spirit is in us. Motivate us. Move us to this. Specifically, God, today, help us to be above reproach without blame. Not to just haphazardly wink at sin in our lives. But, God, to join you in putting sin away so that you can be seen in the world. And in relation to our spouses today, every one of us, Father, I know every one of us has some conviction regarding how we love. Don't let us write it off and just say, oh, it's too hard, and you don't expect that. You do. And Father, I know our hearts want that, and don't let the enemy steal this opportunity away from anyone in the room. God, hear our prayer. We want to be a church full of husbands and wives who love selflessly, who love with your love, the type of love that only comes from people who are born of God and know God. Lord, we want to give all the time and not expect anything in return. Whether we get something back or not, God, help us to love our spouses the way you love the church. Make that happen in our hearts today, God. That is our desire. Continue to grow this church. Call out elders. Lord, put an aspiration in the hearts of some of the men in this body to be that. And put it in all of our hearts, God, uh, to, to be more like you today. We worship you today.